Hey, welcome to episode number 128 of More Than Bread. I'm Dan, your Bible reader and host for this podcast. You know, for 35 years as a pastor and long before that as a child of God, I've loved to feast on the Word of God. And feast, In fact, feasting on the words of God has been my vocation, occupation, and preoccupation. I, I've read the Bible cover to cover multiple times. And, and you know what? If you haven't done that, you should consider it. In fact, for most people, it takes between 55 and 75 hours to read the Bible cover to cover. At an hour a day, that's two months, give or take. And at 30 minutes a day, you can cover it in four to five months. You know, I remember the very first time I read the Bible cover to cover in a shorter period of time, like a couple of months. I did it in less than than two months. And, and it was just fascinating. As I read large portions of Scripture, there were these themes that started to pop up that I'd never noticed before. I'd see it in Lamentations and then again in Hebrews and again in Romans. And I just want to tell you, it's worth your time. Because we need more than bread to thrive. We need every word that comes from the mouth of God. And when the people of God consume the word of God, inspired by the spirit of God, there's going to be some thriving living taking place. So we are on part two of Psalm 51. Just too much gold in this prayer to stop at one episode. So let me read it again and then we'll dive in. I'm, I'm reading again from the New International Version. David says, have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and you're justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, and yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I'll teach transgressors your way so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are my God and my Savior and my, my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I'd bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. But my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. And and when you think about it, those words, these are my words, when you think about it, those words, it's really David saying, restore what's important to me, Zion and Jerusalem. He's the king. The, the temple and the city of Jerusalem are, are the two things that he holds so dear other than God. And so after all of this, he says, and may it please you to prosper Zion and to build up the walls of Jerusalem. And then you'll delight in the sacrifices of the righteous and burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your idol, on your altar, excuse me. I ended the last episode asking you to ask yourself the question, what is the current state of my heart? Are there any, any hard spots, a a touch of cynicism? Do you find yourself easily believing the worst about people, complaining, 
a lot? Is there bitterness? Or, or maybe there's just an area where you've said no to God. Are you losing heart? Maybe your heart's cluttered by stuff and distracted by screens. Are you loving people more? Is your, is your heart tipping towards the broken, the hurting, those in the margins of life? Has your heart grown in the last year? Do you have a plan to guard it and grow it in the next year? And most importantly, who or what rules your heart? Because what rules my heart will define my life. And when sin rules, man, life is hard. Life is a mess. David didn't guard his heart. And within a short period of time, he racked up a string of decisions and deeds so heinous that most of us would never forgive him. His loyal men were out fighting a battle. He stayed home because he could. And one night while he was home, he was walking on the roof of the palace and he saw this beautiful woman bathing. He sent a messenger for her who found out that she was the wife of Uriah, one of David's most trusted captains. But David had her brought to him anyway because he thought it would satisfy his heart. She came, David raped her, and there's no other way to say it. He raped her and sent her home. That was her hashtag me too story. Weeks later, she was pregnant, and and David didn't want anybody to find out, so he sent for Uriah, hoping that while Uriah was at the palace, he would sleep with his wife and believe that the forthcoming child was his. But Uriah was too loyal to his men out on the battlefield, so he wouldn't sleep with his wife while his men were in battle. So David then sent Uriah back to war with a note for the commander, and the note said, go with Uriah into the heart of the battle, and when you give the signal, have everyone fall back, leaving Uriah alone so that he'll be killed. Uriah died, and David took Bathsheba. Now, sometime later, God revealed David's sin to Nathan the prophet, and Nathan told David a story which led to truth and conviction. David's eyes were open to what he had done, and he said, Hata el Yahweh. Hata el Yahweh, I've sinned against God. You, you realize often when it comes to sin, private choices lead to public consequences. I mean, David's sin led to staggering losses. He lost his reputation. Later, he'd lose his family. And, and most likely, as he writes this psalm, Psalm 51, he's about to lose his son. And in the midst of this, David wrote Psalm 51. He's just He's pouring his heart out to God about his heart. Why? Because regardless of the public consequences, it's the internal mess that has to be dealt with first. Man, it's hard. Psalm 51 is a gory description of the ravages of sin on our heart. See, when sin rules, life is stained. (laughs) That's what David says in verse 2. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. when, When you get full of sin, you just feel this dirt upon your heart and your soul. When sin rules, life is Guilt filtered. Verse 3 says, my sin is always before me. I can't stop thinking about it. It's, it, it colors how I see people. It's my filter. It makes me anxious and, and judgmental all the time. When sin rules, life is guilt filtered and life is impure. Verse 10, David says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. See, we, we let things into our hearts that we would never let pass our mouths. We let stuff into our eyes that would make us blush if we were there in person. David David longs for a renewed purity of heart so that he can reconnect with God. Because ultimately, when sin rules, life is without God. 
That's that's one of our consequences. Verse 11 says, do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. And, and because we are without God, life is joylessly drained. <laughs> that's what verse 12 speaks into. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. I'm the Joy has drained out of my life, God. This is what causes me to say, and I think David would agree, as as I look around us, as I look among us, and as I look within me, I would say that a sin-soaked heart is life's greatest problem. A sin-soaked heart is life's greatest problem. We would prefer to highlight a lot of other issues, at least in part because when we talk about sin sooner or later, it's going to come back to me. Because listen, if there's one thing I found in life, it's that my sin-soaked heart is my greatest problem. My own heart is the dominant problem of my life. It's not everybody else. It's me. My sin-soaked heart is my greatest problem. My own heart is the dominant problem of my life. I'm just thinking about that right now, just thinking about how easy it is for me to defend me and to judge others and to think that others are the source of my problem when in reality, my own heart is the dominant problem of my life. David had said in, in verse 3, I know my sin, it's it's always in front of me. We're, we're so stinking quick to deflect the blame to everything and everyone else and David isn't saying, I know everyone else's sin. He's saying, I know mine. I, I'm not worrying about how everyone else is screwing up. My heart is my problem. My sin disturbs me most. Oh, God, against you and you only have I sinned. You keep running across, I keep running across that statement. Um, Love the sinner, hate the sin. And a lot of people say, come on, that, that's not a good statement. I mean, it, it, it's true. It's something in a sense we should do. But anytime we say that to somebody who's a sinner, all they can hear is hate the sin. Here's what I think we should say. Love the sinner, hate my sin. Love the sinner, hate my sin. My sin disturbs me most, O oh God, against you and you only have I sinned. You know, we, we, don't, we don't like the concept of sin today. Sin involves moral absolutes and judgment. Sin has consequences. We, we prefer the word mistake, right? I mean, what's the definition of a mistake? A mistake is an error in action and, and calculation, opinion, or judgment caused by poor reasoning. I'm not, I'm not bad. I just didn't have all the information. I wasn't thinking correctly. I didn't know any better. I tried, but I'm not perfect. Come on. At worst, I was careless. It's an oops. My bad. Get over it. You heard me say that a few episodes ago. It's, it's easier to think of myself as an oopster than a sinner. But here's what David confessed. He said, I'm not just an oopster, I'm a sinner. In fact, the, the apostle John said in 1 John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. Now, let me, let me speak truth. I have sin. At times I've sinned because my heart is rebellious. I, I want to be my own master, choose my own path, determine my own right and wrong. At times I've sinned because I've tried to satisfy my heart through things other than God and and I almost fear that making those types of emissions too quickly will make it seem like a small matter, when in reality, it's grievous. See, my, my sin is not just a failure to reach his standards. That's part of it. But ultimately, it's a failure to treasure his heart. This is what should cause us to cry out like, David, have mercy on me, O God. So, so let me just ask you again, is God the sweet satisfaction of your soul? Is God the treasure of your heart? As I read the story of David, I keep hearing God say, Dan, that's what I'm trying to get out of you. You, you, you have satisfied your heart in too many other things. I want to be the sweet satisfaction of your soul. 
you know, God keeps bringing me to bring into mind these moments that he's given me over the course of the years, like I remember over a decade ago, like it was yesterday, just before going on my sabbatical, I was watching the Narnia movie. And, and in the first part of the movie, Lucy is constantly voicing her disappointment in Aslan's absence. And, and there's this scene where Lucy finally comes face to face with Aslan, the, the lion who represents Jesus. And as I was watching this scene, it just kind of caught my breath like I'd been punched in the gut and and tears came to my eyes. I think if I was alone, they, they would have been sobs. And, and I just thought, where in the world did that come from? And I sense God saying, you, you miss me, Dan. You know, I believe amazing times with God lie ahead of us, life-changing, city-shaping times, times that we'll write about and hold on to in our hearts to tell stories to our grandkids. But those times will not come if Christ is not first in our affections. That's our journey. And and if that's you, then then let me just share a couple of revival truths, tips for the journey. David starts his prayer with these words, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. And and here's the first tip, the first revival truth, and perhaps the most important. Revival starts with God's heart, not your heart, not my heart. If, If revival starts with our hearts, we have no hope. It's the heart of God that gives us hope. See, in the heart of God is the mercy of God that overflows from his unfailing love and his great compassion. We've got to throw ourselves into the heart of God. Without understanding the heart of God, we'll never come to God with our hearts. It's too hard. It's too fearful. Without understanding the heart of God, all we want to do is run and hide. See, David knows something about the heart of God that is powerful and beautiful all at the same time. I'll never forget the first time it occurred to me that if Solomon was correct when he said that our heart is the wellspring of our life, what does that say about the wellspring of life that comes from God's heart? I mean, take a moment and just start to imagine the wellspring of life that flows from the heart of God. Listen, dealing with our sin is not the end goal. It's it's just a step in the journey. The end goal is the life that comes from the heart of God. Listen to me, whatever your sin, whatever conviction is rising up in your heart as you listen to this episode or the one before it, whatever it is, God God knows it all. In fact, whisper this to yourself, God knows my heart and he wants my heart. The one who knows me best loves me most. This is a revival truth. Here's another one. David prays, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And, and, and this, is, this is the second revival truth. God is not done with your heart. God's not done with my heart. David knew a lot about God, but he didn't know all that we know. He didn't know about the cross. He didn't know about the sacrifice of Christ. He didn't know about the promise of God delivered through Christ, described by Paul. Behold, in Christ, all things are made new. God will not leave your heart undone. He will give you a revival heart. 
David writes in verses 16 and 17, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. See, a broken and a contrite heart is a heart that lives in the tension between sinner and saint, between repentance and redemption, between rescue and revival. A broken and a contrite heart is is one that prays with intensity, humility, and tenacity, desperately hopeful. In his book, Revival Praying, Leonard Ravenhill writes, It is my solemn conviction that the most glorious hour of the church has yet to be born. All the heroes of the faith have not yet been listed. All the chapters of the church, fair as the moon, clear as the sun, and terrible as an army with banners, have not yet been written. The greatest exploits of faith have yet to be done. (laughs) We're not going to get there. We don't come to God with a broken and a contrite heart. Let me read Psalm 51 once more, this time from the New Living Translation. And remember the point. The point is not to just say no to sin. The point is to say yes to God. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You've broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt, creating me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I'll teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and then you'll be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. Father God, I I pray. um, I pray the words of Jesus from the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. God, blessed are are the begging poor spiritually. Blessed are the desperate. Blessed are those who have come to the end of their rope. Blessed are those who know that without you, our lives are full of sin. Blessed are those who realize that except for the, the mercy of God and the love of God, we would be lost. God, would you give us a sense of desperate hope? hopeful desperation, not not to, to, to push us down and crunch us down and keep us there, but would you give us the hope that is born from desperate hearts, from broken and contrite hearts? We thank you that your conviction of sin isn't meant to leave us there. 
that you're calling us to a different place, that repentance and confession is just a, a description of the journey. And the point is not just to say no to sin, but the point to say yes to you. So God, our God, we say yes to you. Say that with me. God, our God, we say yes to you. We say yes to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.